Well, good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and we'll read through this passage together. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He made his angels, winds, his servants, flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last for ever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garments. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your ways will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, God will, I know, add his blessing to our reading of that word, and we're going to look at it shortly together. Before that, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you again for the fact that we can gather together. It is again in this unusual way, but we again thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that he might lead us, that he might speak to us, that we might see something of the greatness of who you are. And our Father, we pray that we, as a company of your people, will be held together, yes, by the love that we have for each other, but for the love that you have for us. And we come to you now as we gather around your word, seeking your blessing upon us, that you might teach us, that you might lead us, that you might encourage us. And our Father, we bring all these things in the precious and worthy name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. Amen. So we come to this... Uh, book of Hebrews and we had a little look at the introduction to it last week but the recipients of this letter are being reminded that God has spoken to them in the past and that he is now speaking to them through his son now they probably know that the writer here means Jesus but they need to be reminded of who Jesus is now sometimes we become over familiar with things and we lose our appreciation of them. 
but it doesn't mean that they lose their value. But we sometimes can fail to recognise it. You know, if this coronavirus has taught us anything, it has taught us the value of some things that we may have previously begin begun to take for granted, such as family, friends, relationships. It will also have shown us that some of the things that we have trusted in are not as reliable as we thought that they were. And so we come to this uh, book of Hebrews with these thoughts in mind. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, this is what we read. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So here we have it. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. These people are familiar with scripture. Let us go to a passage that they would have known well. This is from Exodus chapter 34 and it's verse 29 through to 30. This is what we read. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near to him. You see, what had happened without Moses realising it, but some of the radiance of God had reflected onto him and onto his face. And when he came down the mountain, people saw it and they were afraid. So Moses wore a veil to cover his face. Now, you might think that he wore the veil to cover his face because the people were afraid to look at him. But the real reason that why he wore that veil is told to us in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians verse 3 and verse 13. We read these words. He put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. You see, Moses' face was changed and it reflected something of God's glory, not Moses' glory. And because of that, it began to fade. And Moses didn't want the people to see that fading so that they might lose encouragement. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory because he is God. It emanates from him because it is his. We know that he veiled it. And when he walked this earth during his ministry, he allowed some of it to show, but not his full glory. But he never lost that glory. That glory was always there. He is very God. The exact representation of his being. He's a distinctive person, yet one with God. His words call creation into being sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the perfect sacrifice. 
provided purification for sins. He takes the highest place possible because of who he is. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the one who spoke these words from the cross. It is finished. What's in a name? In this case, everything. Everything is in his name. You know, Jude, who wrote uh, one of the letters in the New Testament, a very short letter, in fact, it's only one chapter, but he finished that letter in a, in a wonderful way. He, he got it, he grasped what we're looking at this evening. This is what he said in verse 25. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. I know we're familiar with those words, but they're so powerful. Sometimes we lose the, 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 the feeling of them when we become over-familiar with them. But back to Hebrews, and let's have a look at verse 4 of chapter 1. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. You'll notice as we go through this letter that the writer of the Hebrews never diminishes the importance of anything or anyone. But he does show the superiority of who Jesus is. In other words, all these things are great, but he is greater and here the lesson is that the son is superior to the angels verse 5 and 6 reads for to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son today i have become your father or again i will be his father and he will be my son or again when god brings his firstborn into the world he says let all god's angels worship him See, the angels play an important part in God's plan. Communication between him and his people. And we, like the readers of, or the first readers of this letter to Hebrews, they can see this revealed in their law, in their books, in what we have as the Old Testament. But how do these things that they know compare with the one who is God's son. So here's some questions that he's given us, questions for us to answer. Does God call any of the angels his son? No. Does God tell any of them that he is their father? No. Does God ever say he will be their father and they will be his son? No. What God did say to the angels was, let all God's angels worship him the one who is his son. The people reading this letter, uh, while they had the, the, the Old Testament, or what we know as the Old Testament before them, the books of Moses, they were also probably familiar with what Paul had said to the church of Colossae, even if they didn't know Paul, they more than likely would have known of him. These letters that Paul wrote during this time would have been passed on to other churches and also word of mouth, the things that Paul had said. 
So we go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 through to 20. This is what we read. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross this is the gospel the gospel these people had accepted this is the gospel that they had received this is the truth that they are in danger of moving away from hence this letter to the hebrew christians so here as we read on is, is a contrast a contrast between the angels and the son of god and we'll see it in these Next two verses. Verse 7. In speaking of angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. So angels are spirits. They are greater than man. They are powerful servants of God. Jesus became man. Does his humility reduce his power? Does it reduce his position? Does it negate the person who Jesus is? Hold these thoughts and the reference that God makes the angels. So we go now to verse 8 and verse 9. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God is announcing the deity of Jesus. He is God. He is king forever. His nature and character is God's nature and character. God announces the Son. He acknowledges the Son. He does not say that he made the Son. Jesus is God with us. So we come to verse 10 and 12. He also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid foundations of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. The Son of God is superior to the angels. He is the creator. Not only that, but he is the one who sustains and controls his creation. And while things change and pass away, he is the same forever. At this point, we can jump a little, ahead into, a little bit ahead into the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 13. And in verse 8 of chapter 13, this is what the writer says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever so on the basis of all this the writer says answer this question 
And when you read this question, you realise the question is rhetorical. <laughs> the answer is obvious. You don't have to answer. It answers itself. After everything that we've just looked at, everything that God has said about his son, about Jesus. Verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, this reminds us of a passage that these people more than likely would have known well. Because it's from the Psalms. It's Psalm 110 that's being quoted here. Let's just, as we finish off uh, this evening, let's just read that psalm together. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is another passage from the Old Testament, a passage that they would have been familiar with. This is part of the appeal being made by the writer of the book of Hebrews for them and to us to see that unbreakable bond between the books of Moses, between Moses, between the law, between the prophets and Jesus. Jesus is not an addition. He is not one who comes to change these things. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that has gone before. And this is what these people need to grab hold of. In conclusion, verse 14 of our chapter. Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? There's, there's that plan again. That's where you and I come in. So chapter 2, chapter 2 uh, comes along with a warning. And... Um, it also comes with a warning for us to pay attention. We must pay attention. So we're going to wait till next week now. But let's just pray at the end of this our uh, time around God's Word. Our Father, we thank you again for your Word. We thank you for the revelation that you give us through it as to who you are, Jesus, the Son of God. And we come together in his wonderful name. Amen. Well, may God continue to bless you, and uh, I think we can all say amen to that. Amen.